Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 116 of the F1 Show for coverage of the German Grand Prix from Hockenheim. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And yes, we are back from Hockenheim now. Hockenheim. That's, that's totally how you say it. More phlegm. Yeah, okay. Uh, where, yeah, obviously we, uh, we alternate between Nürburgring and Hockenheim. And this year, uh, it is a Hockenheim year, which is kind of cool to uh, be back at this track. We haven't been here for, uh, we weren't here last year. It, the whole year has kind of had a Hockenheim kind of vibe. Yeah, it just kind of feels a little different. A little Hockenheim-y. And supposedly, in the future, we'll be alternating between Spa and France, uh, although that seems like it's maybe falling apart again, but there was certainly one of the proposals was to have alternating Grand Prix between Jim, Spa and on. France. hold on, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then we'd have like a Spa kind of year. Which but is, Spa isn't in France. No, it's not. That's the thing, is so that would be the European Grand Prix would be that one. Oh. Or whatever. I see. Because I thought they were trying to get the French Grand Prix back. Right. But if it's in Spa half the time, that's not really... Well, maybe it can be French when it's in those years. Anyway, <laughs> trying to distract me from the real point. Um, and, and basically, um, the weather was quite similar to what we had two weeks ago in England. I guess, you know, all over England and, and Europe and whatever, there's been this... It's been a rainier season than usual. We don't get a lot of wet racing at Hockenheim. Um, but... We had uh, a mix of wet and dry and stuff over the, over the course of the weekend, um, in, including qualifying, where the morning warm-up uh, on Saturday was, was very well dry. And then for qualifying, it started out pretty much dry and got wetter and wetter and wetter throughout the course of the session. Which well, is, and the afternoon practice on Friday was wet as well. Right. Quite wet. Right. So, uh, yeah, even morning practice was, was damp, and then it got quite wet in the afternoon. So there was all kinds of spinning and gravel trap excitement and a couple of incidents with walls and so on. But... For for qualifying, what was interesting is you know the fastest laps were by far in Q1, uh, and then as they got to the higher you know which which of course set the bottom grid spaces, but as they got hi- higher and higher up the grid, the times were getting slower and slower. So it was this interesting combination of strategy of when can we get the car out and do a good lap, combined with actually managing to keep your car on the road in really really wet conditions, um, and then immediately after qualifying. It like dried up and it was a beautiful day. Oh yeah, it was amazing. It was that minutes was really later, so it was just kind of funny. So if they had red flagged it even between sessions or something and said, okay, we're going to delay Q3 for ten minutes or whatever, then it could have been all different. But um, yeah, it so was, it was, yeah, kind of shuffling around for a little while there. A real quick uh, jump back to Friday practice two. Uh, it was quite interesting and ironic. Friday practice two ended a little bit early. Um, the time ran out, but it was red flagged because Michael Schumacher um, in the last few minutes. Uh, tagged the wall pretty hard with both the front and the back of the car. Mm-hmm. And this was right after um, complaining about, um, you know, there not being much grip. Yeah. So he says, not much grip, but I can manage it. And that was like one corner. I later. mean, everybody knows he's not that great in the rain. Yeah, he's, he's, just, he's, he's not really known for his rain prowess, is he? Younger driver. No, but anyway, uh, it's, so that was interesting. But uh, Michael Schumacher did uh, move on to Saturday and proved to be quite strong in qualifying. Right. Well, it was looking dicey for a while, right, because the times were falling so quickly in Q1 that for a while Schumacher was on the bubble. Then he was in, in 17th spot. Uh, or he was that's in, true. In yeah, 18th, that's right. He was in on Q1. the outside. Yeah. Uh, and, then, and then, you know, his final lap put him just to 17th, just barely bumping John eric Verne. Uh, but uh, it wasn't like he was well within in Q1. But then in Q2 and Q3, went on to uh, to do just fine and, and actually ended up qualifying fourth. But uh, it was it was he did okay. But by the sort of by the skin of his teeth in Q1. Right. Um, and then uh, although his his gap over the uh, over the rest of the cars was okay, but it was like it could have been a little bit more margin there. It could have been a little bit better. But what ended up. Um, at the top of the charts was Fernando Alonso was just able to really muscle that car around and his pole lap which we did a complete ride around 
Um, I mean, it was messy. It, there, it was yeah, not. It absolutely. was. It was sliding off the track in multiple places, but just holding onto that thing well enough to, that that the fact that that lap was the fastest in that session was just really impressive. It would have been pretty wild to see onboards of all of them to see exactly what was going on going wrong in different areas because it is such a fine line between you have to get some speed out of the car because it doesn't matter if you go out there and go really really slowly um, because the whole point is qualifying. But it's so easy to get it just a little bit wrong and and really you know get the car stuck in a gravel trap or worse yet you know ball it up into the wall or something like that. Well, yeah, and we've talked a lot about uh, in in the past about how tight the gaps gotten between first and tenth or you know eleventh through seventeenth or whatever in different qualifying Sometimes sessions. Sometimes yeah, half a second covers you know half the grid. In Q three we had four point two seconds covering. Uh, first through tenth, Alonso on pole, Kimi Raikkonen in tenth place. Yeah. So that speaks to two things. It was bucketing rain and uh, for a while and drying just a little bit as they were going. It was getting better. But then who was taking risks in what corners had to yeah. be quite a bit different as well. And even Alonso's uh, gap over second place Vettel was four tenths of a second. So even right. that, you know, to gap Vettel that way. And so it was interesting. The other thing is this, the tire strategy. So, of course, you're on wet tires. And by the Q3, they were on onto the extreme wets. Uh, but normally, you know, the, the tire strategy in, in terms of how those tires wear down and is it worth coming back in for another set is kind of a whole different game than everyone understands the dry tires. That's, that's harder in the softer compounds. And, uh, you know, you, you start out on the hards, you use those up, you can get a good enough time to get through Q1, Q2. By Q3, you go out onto the softs, maybe you do a couple laps, come back in, do your one flying perfect lap, you know, on, on just the right tires and, and all that. And Alonso played it as close to a normal tire strategy as anyone in that he went out and set some laps early, which was, like, the right thing to do. Um, and I thought I saw even Button on track. It's very yes. first in Q3 and thinking, oh, this is probably going to be it because it's only going to, you know, get better and better that Button's really, really smart to get out there and get a lap in. Um, but he ended up only seventh place. Um, but Alonso went out, set some laps, came back in for a fresh set of, of uh, extreme wets, which had been heated as well. Uh, so, you know, right. like, keep him on the tire heaters. Uh, and then then went out and then set the the fastest lap you know of of qualifying that that set his pole lap so uh, it was sort of a, a a simple approach in that it's exactly what they do in the dry but to do that in the wet and to get the extreme wets and uh, kind of time it right is really what uh, worked out really well and you know he this this Ferrari which we keep hearing over and over is really not the, not the greatest or whatever but I mean he's I mean yeah, able it, to drive the hell out of it I mean he's now won he he's now uh, moving ahead just a little bit he's now won three times. Uh, in that car, so it's not like it, we're running out of reasons to call it less than a great car. Right. Anyway, um, but clearly a great drive. Clearly a great drive. The uh, the thing that about the rain tires is there is kind of a similar reason. You know, one of the reasons you swap tires for qualifying is after a first couple of laps, the tires are still very good, but they lose that real fine edge at the beginning. So the turn in sharpness and the last little bit of traction. Um, that goes away because that real fine edge has been rounded off. Well, the argument with the rain tire is that same edge is lost on the rain tire, which makes it, which makes it two things. One, a little bit less efficient at pumping water out of the way. Mm-hmm. And two, the blocks aren't quite as good as gripping the road for the initial turn in and stuff. So really, it, it's, it, not only is it a similar strategy to dry, but it is for similar reasons too. Right. And uh, so it just is interesting because a lot of times the the strategy kind of goes weird. And then in some cases you want to have a worn set of like inters on a drying track. Maybe that wears down a wet tire to be not that different from a dry tire, 
but it still is very different from a dry tire. So some people, you know, were saying, oh, I'm going to just wear down these extreme wets. That'll get all that squishy tread out of the way. So it's this balance between how much water do you need to push out of the way, how much contact patch can you have, what can you manage as a driver to keep something on the road anyway. And uh, so it was, you know, ended up being a, a sort of a more, um, uh, I guess, strategic qualifying session and not just uh, the raw pace. But obviously, at the end of the day, what matters is the lap time. And, uh, you know, Alonzo was, was able to do some magic to keep it on top. And, as uh, as you mentioned, cool to Sebastian Vettel qualified second. Strong performance from him. Mark Weber qualified third, but he had a five-place grid penalty uh, for a gearbox change, so he ended up in eighth. Uh, Michael Schumacher uh, qualifying times here. Fourth, Nico Hulkenberg fifth. Very impressive in the Force India. Pastor Maldonado <laughs> um, uh, sixth. Jensen Button and Lewis Hamilton seventh and eighth. And top ten was Paul DeResta, which and really quick, button ahead of Hamilton. Yes, we might add. Yes, he was. And of course, it was a topsy turvy session, but that was, uh, you know, at the end of, at the end of the session, button on top. So good for him on that. But I heard button loves it on top. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, I don't know why I had to go there. So on to the race. Um, as as you mentioned, uh, you know, no big surprise. Alonso was able to manage this race very very well today, and and just do exactly what he needed to do, and come home with the win. And really, no small feat too. When you think about it, he had uh, pressure from Vettel. Uh, not much more than halfway into the race, pretty strong pressure from Vettel. He looked quite fast. And then later on the race, some strong pressure from. Uh, button so mm-hmm. you know it wasn't an easy coast win by several seconds uh type of win he had to work for it for right. sure and, and he had to manage tires throughout the whole process the whole deal and we saw yeah we saw of, of all the drivers certainly of all the top drivers we saw many laps of them going wide in various corners and and things which i guess you know they worked out to be worth the tire wear and worth the sliding and you know to get the right lap time but it was it was pretty wild seeing a lot of these guys really slide around quite a bit and you think oh man this must be bad his tires must be going off he'll probably pet in the next lap or two and no he just keeps on doing that yeah and, you know yeah. and Vettel even you know which you don't often see really sliding the car around I mean usually when it comes to a sort of just set this lap time kind of performance not you know sometimes there's you know he, he has good passing moves and sometimes he has you know if he moves in traffic and whatever but when it comes down to just like set repeated lap times you know go uh, usually Vettel is right on top of that, and see him, you know, sliding around everything, and then uh, and then Button as well. Uh, yeah, Alonso just really did quite well, uh, very well, to to hang on to this thing and uh, and come home. You know, it wasn't a, a, a win by a mile, sir, but it was, you know, he won, and that's that's really what matters. In stark contrast, yet again, to his teammate who had uh, in Q1 in qualifying, he had sort of had his one chance to get a lap time ready. He made a mistake on that lap. Yeah. And then from there, it just kept getting wetter and wetter. So Massa, uh, you just with this pretty dismal performance in qualifying and then um, and turn, you know, just about turn one and lost his front wing and had to right. pit. And his, his race was kind of just screwed up from the, from the word go. And in, in a very similar vein, talking about teammates, although in reverse order in some ways, uh, Lewis Hamilton had similar fate for the race. Uh, you know, he had a punctured tire very early on. I don't think it was the first lap, but it was, it was like lap three or yeah, four or something. something like that. And uh, that forced a pit stop early. Lewis thought the car was damaged. It turns out he was probably right at the end of the day. Um, although he was fast, he had some fast laps some sometime in the middle of the race. So anyway, Lewis Hamilton ended up being kind of mired in the background and ended up retiring early, um, despite the fact he was still he was still mixing it up with the. Uh, with the leaders, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, uh, where do we? Where are we? So Jensen Button ended up officially finishing second, and we'll get to that as well. Kimi Raikkonen makes it to the podium. Uh, Kumui Kobayashi in fourth place, uh, very impressive. Again, another really strong race result for Sauber. 
Sebastian Vettel in fifth, Sergio Perez in sixth. Uh, Schumacher managed to get seventh out of the Mercedes, and uh, uh, Mark Webber in eighth. Yeah. So before we so, so we you know, we talked about Hamilton for a second. I wanna I wanna get back to that before we uh, before we go too much further. So uh, yeah, he had the puncture. So he ends up um, a lap down from the leaders, but on track right around with what is a what you know Alonso uh, followed by Vettel at that point, right, and then later back Button. And so uh, you know Hamilton finds himself in the middle of this mix. Um, but he's on softer tires at this point. He's kind of on an off strategy because his you know his, his he had to pit and all that. Um, so he then, you know, he, he works his way up and, and gets to, uh, Vettel and he, you know, gets around some other guys uh, along the, along the way. And, um, you know, the question is, so there's, there's two parts of it. One, uh, as you know, I think in general, I don't think anyone would disagree, you know, the back markers aren't, don't, you shouldn't be in a situation where you slow down leaders. I mean, that's right. That, you're not in the lead of this race. You know, the leaders, they should have the right of way, the priority and all that. and shouldn't be held up or slowed down by a back marker. That's that's fair. That's easy enough, right? Right. Um, but if there's a backmarker who's much faster than you, Maldonado's fault. That was Maldonado's fault. <laughs> You're finally coming I, around. I, on I, this I whole agree thing. with you. Yeah, he, yeah, totally his fault here. Uh, but if if he's much faster than you, then it's the question of if I am in say second place of a race and there's this guy that's gonna trying to unlap himself, you know, should I bother with fighting with him, or is the minimum way of him slowing me down like? you know, is to just say, hey, you know, go on by because this isn't for position anyway. Maybe eventually through some miracle you'll come back around to actually get me for position. But me letting you by now, that's probably going to do the least amount of impact to both of us overall. Right. But you don't have to do that, but that's kind of like maybe a reasonable assumption is like rather than if I'm, say, Vettel and I want to like battle with this guy, it's to say, okay, well, sure, ultimately I want to keep him behind me because he's a he's a race car and he's behind me and that's better. But – I don't want to mess myself up. I don't want to set off my own lap time. And it was pretty clear that Hamilton was quite a bit faster. So as it happened, Hamilton, of course, got around Vettel in, um, in a way that probably held up Vettel a little bit. A little um, bit, I would say. Because it, Vettel was two, sort yeah. of defending this line. Like the way it looked to me was like if Vettel had just sort of said, oh, that's lap traffic. That's not button behind me, but that's Hamilton, um, which, you know, understandably may be hard to tell looking in mirrors and whatever. I'm pretty sure he knew. I think I, he, he knew, but, yeah. you know, just – there's just to, to throw that out there. Uh, then you say, okay, this isn't for position. Let him go. Then if I think if Vettel had made that call, then the, Hamilton getting by really would have cost him nearly, nearly, you know, very basically nothing, and may have even helped him because as he pulls away, uh, Vettel would have been in DRS range of uh, of Hamilton and and may have been able to actually gain a little bit of advantage. Uh, the other side of that question, though, is exactly that, DRS. Is right. and Should a lapped car right. be able to use DRS to get around a, a, a you know, leader car, a car that's, that's you know, having his own race for position? Well, and that's what surprised me because – so the scenario is just like you described it, but when Hamilton made the pass, it was at the end of the DRS zone. And that really took me by surprise. I didn't – I assumed – that that was illegal. Like once once you're lap traffic, you can't use DR, DRS on a car that's a lap ahead of you. But uh, there's nothing in the rules that says you can. He was in the DRS zone and he made a pass. Right. And it's interesting because I remember the first when we were sort of first seeing DRS and you know, we all sort of heard about it and announced, oh, okay, you know, you're gonna open the wing when you're a second behind the car in front of you. That's all great. You know, to help with passing and, and not get the situation where you're stuck behind a car for half of the race and it's boring for everybody. Then the first time we saw it and we we're like, oh, this guy's 
you know, getting through lapped traffic. So it's not that that's actually the car in front of him in the race. That's just the car that's in front of him on track. Right. But they are allowed to use DRS. And you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense, though. So you don't want to get, you know, it makes it that much easier for a, a, a you know, a high-level car to get around lap traffic. In some cases, if you play the traffic game a little bit, you could actually use that if, if the guy in front of you doesn't have anyone in front of him. If he's in first and I'm in second and there's a, a lapped car and I can, you know, DRS my way around that lapped car, maybe my lap time overall will be a little bit better and that can help me move towards my towards my rival in first place. So you're like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But then this is, I think, the first time we've really seen it this way because it's pretty rare that you would have, you know, uh, uh, one of the backmarker teams. I mean, there's not going to be well, a, a, a... Even when you have a leading car team, we've seen that before. You have a leading car team, be it Mark Webber or Jensen Button or whomever, who had something happen in qualifying that messed up and they end up mired back. They usually end up getting stuck in traffic somehow or something, they end up being slower anyway. It's rare that you end up in the backmarker and you're moving quickly. Right. And you're with the leaders. I mean, that it is definitely kind of a perfect storm kind of situation. And so the question is, you know, is... it Maybe should there be a, a rule clarification on DRS to say, okay, if you are lapped traffic, you don't get to use the wing because the whole point isn't to unlap yourself. The point is to keep the flow, or what is the point? I guess is the question. Is the point to keep the flow of the beginning of the, the, the beginning of the race? You know, the, the, the leaders of the race going, or is it that any car not be stuck behind any other car if he has better pace? In which case. Lewis Hamilton would be perfectly, you know, and they, there was no penalty or anything for this, so this is just right. more of the higher level argument. But um, this it, is an academic argument, right? But is it is that what's better for the race? Is that Lewis not be stuck behind Vettel, you know, assuming he couldn't get by for a number of laps if he didn't have DRS, so he couldn't go on with his own race? Well, it's definitely well. So here's what makes it a little bit more complicated. So because at first glance, you're like absolutely Vettel gains nothing by fighting with Lewis. Mm-hmm. Um, if Lewis is quicker and he wants to get by and he's trying to unlap himself, let him do it. It's no harm on you. Except that there is that concern that, okay, right now I'm in second place and this Lewis Hamilton is a uh, lap behind me, but his teammate is behind him and gaining on me. So if Lewis Hamilton gets ahead of me, is, do, do I now end up being a Vettel sandwich on McLaren and in kind of a in kind of a bad position where Hamilton could potentially slow me down and help Jensen Button get around me, so that does affect his race. Right, but that and I don't think that would be refuted by anyone. That that would be a you know a, a penalizable mistake or penalizable foul to say okay if you go and you know hinder someone else's race when you're lap traffic. That's not cool, and that that's I think we right. can we we all sort of agree on that. Right. So if he, you know if there was anything that was you know, and you can of course look at the data and look if he was brake checking him or breaking any earlier, taking any weird line. But I think at that point Hamilton's goal really is going to be go as fast as possible to try to make up whatever he can make up in his race. But there's a second problem. So that second problem is that now it is right at the moment it's Vettel trying to gain on Alonso. But once you have a car in front of you. And it did slow him down a couple of corners. That hurt his momentum going after Alonso. He, um, you know, potentially wore out his tires a little bit more in that process. And uh, now there's, even though it's a lapped car, there's there's another car between him and Alonso. So when you factor all those things in and you think about the fact that it's heat of the moment in the middle of a Grand Prix, Vettel wasn't expecting a lapped car to try to pass him. You know, it starts to become... A less, you know, fairly, uh, a harder decision to make, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I guess the idea is either 
Hamilton is faster and he can get around and basically stay out of the way and then either through pit strategy or whatever, you know, get around Alonso or he'll end up pulling off or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, that if he's faster, it's not an issue because he's faster. If he's like right at the same speed and somehow slowing him down, then that's, you know, as lap traffic, you need to not slow down anyone who's who's ahead of you in the race race order. So then that would be on Hamilton to, uh, you know, get out of the way such that you're not, you know, if you're like right in the exact same speed throwing really, really similar lap times, and that's that's the only issue. But if you're faster, then you're faster and you get on down the road and I'm not really slowing you down and I'm not really holding you up. If I'm slower, then I'm not going to pass you anyway. Uh, so it's, you know, as long as you're not impeding him, like, I, I you know, I didn't, I, I guess I feel like the DRS thing, um, it without trying to get too technical on, you know, the rule right now is technical enough, right? If you're at the DRS detection zone or within one second of the car in front of you, no matter what that car in front of you is, you're allowed to use your wing and do whatever you can with the wing uh, with the advantage of less less drag. Um, but if it's almost like if, if uh, okay, if you are lap traffic, though, and your lap times, your previous three lap times or whatever are X amount faster than the car in front of you's lap time. You know, like there's, you can all sort of imagine how right. we could put that into a rule. But I guess really the key would be if you pass someone, if, if it's for, if, if you're trying to, you know, work on unlapping yourself, if you are lap traffic, you can pass somebody. But as soon as, if you are holding them up in any way, um, not in any way, because, you know, there was, it's, it's always going to be a little bit. But if you're holding them up in some substantial way, then, um you know, you have to give the position back or, or right. you know, pull off or whatever. So it's it's an interesting issue when you get a, you know, really fast car, you know, as trying to unlap himself. I think uh, Vettel's smartest move, I think you were kind of uh, towards green towards this, probably would have been just to let Hamilton go. I think you're right that if McLaren tried to make anything close to an obvious move to hold up Vettel to allow Button to get past Vettel, that Red Bull could have very rightfully called McLaren on it and gotten a penalty out of it. And I think that would have been pretty obvious pretty quickly. And uh, Vettel's best move would have just let Hamilton go by. However, it, it it is a little interesting that you can use DRS to do it. But yeah. at the same time, if you think about it practically, DRS has been around for a little while now. This is the very first time we've ever encountered this with any amount of significance. This is not common. You right. know what I mean? It's not like this is going to start happening every race. So it's one of those really rare occurrences. And frankly, it was an interesting aspect to the race. So from a fan point of view, from an entertainment point of view, I don't know if you want to change anything or try to clarify anything because really not much clarification is needed. It it, it happened. It was legal. And also, you know, it's going to be rare. It's rare. It was this is the first time it's happened. It's not going to happen often. So luckily, what you're saying is we ended up the day with no controversy between Red Bull and McLaren, basically, <laughs> right. regarding passing. At least for a few laps, yes. <laughs> so um, so anyway, I mean, I, I think we actually kind of agree there that Vettel might have not needed to push, fight back as much and be quite as upset as he was. Although yeah. it's justified in the heat of the moment to be like, what the fuck was that? Or what the heck was that? bleep bleep didn't swear um you know i just passed this guy with a blue flag and now he's passed me back i mean that would definitely throw me off yeah and what was what was weird that was his his reaction uh vettel's reaction that is in the car that he was doing the next sort of you know couple of uh, you know sweeping corners with one hand on the wheel and one hand waving you know <laughs> dramatically hey, what the hell you know what are you doing blah 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 so you know that's that may be the riskiest part of the whole thing is part of it is, okay, should I have to defend my driving, you know, do a defensive driving line for this lap traffic? But then is it really smart to 
you know, be driving in this really angered, you know, waving around your your arms at this guy, trying to trying to gesture that that was a problem. When it's like, if he's slowing you down, you get on the radio and say, "Hey, this guy's slowing me down. It's lab traffic. Get him out of my way." Or, or if he's already in front of you, I, I mean, I, I guess you know, it's a heat of the moment thing. But I don't think, you know, Hamilton having made this move and saying, "Wow, I'm a lot faster, but I'm stuck behind Vettel. Cool, I can use my wing. I've gotten around him." Oh wait, but he's got his hand up. I, I better let my let him back around because he waved at me. I mean, it's you know that that just seemed like unsafe for no reason kind of reaction from Vettel. If you you're saying that if you're upset about a move that was made, you should get on the radio and say so. I think that's an excellent segue to talk about the next issue, which also involves Vettel and also involves McLaren, but this time Jensen Button, the uh, quicker of the two McLaren drivers today. Yes, so because Vettel was held up by Hamilton so egregiously, he (laughs) slipped back into the clutches of Sebastian Vettel. I mean, Jensen Button. Right, so time passes. And uh, later in the race, um, when third round round of pit stops happened, uh, Jensen Button pitted earlier than Alonso and Vettel did. Uh, Alonso came in for his third and final pit stop. Vettel followed to cover, and uh, they came out equally. But as they were exiting the pit stops, Button was on his flyer. He'd been, he'd had a, his pit stops a couple laps earlier. He was on a flyer, and he managed to just get by Vettel before his tires could warm up yeah. as he was exiting and the pits. And Button had a wicked pit stop before that. I think it was 2.6 seconds. 2.4. 2.4. I yeah. mean, that was probably the best pit stop we've seen all season. Uh, and, and and Vettel's was, I think, a 3.0 or something. Yeah. It was like a normal... There which, was nothing bad about his. And, it wasn't a slow, especially right. slow one. And that was pretty much all the difference that there was when they came back on track. So that yeah. was, you know, McLaren... Obviously, they've still had some issues with pit stops, whatever, but not that time. That right. It really, really worked for them. That was a really perfectly executed pit stop. And that is potentially what got Button that position. So, um, so, yeah. so Button went on to take second position after every, all the leaders did their third round of pit stops. And the race went on, and at times it looked like Button was in a really strong place to uh, fight for the lead. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we mentioned, Alonso held Hamilton off very well. And Button's tires towards the end were, were clearly falling off quicker than Alonso's or Vettel's. And Vettel started reeling Button in, and with, I think, two laps to go, maybe it was three, um, Vettel took advantage of DRS and uh, made a run for Button at the hairpin, and Button made him do it. Uh, around the outside, mm-hmm. and uh, Vettel made the pass around the outside. However, um, coming up on the exit, he decided to put all four wheels beyond the yellow, uh, beyond the white line and completely exited the track um, and passed and passed Button exiting off the track on the paved uh, runoff area and went on to cover the race. Button wasn't too pleased about it, and he got on the radio with the team and said, "Hey, he passed me off track." What's the deal? And uh, long story short, Vettel ended up getting a post-race stop-and-go penalty, which is worth 20 seconds tagged on to your race time, which dropped him from second to fifth place. Yeah. And that so, was, it was on lap 66 of 67. So okay, it was so a second to last to lap. Yeah. And uh, so it was after that when a one more revolution uh, around the track. And, uh, and yeah, there was some interesting discussion about it, you know, in the, the sort of the driver, you know, pre-podium room or whatever – they're sort of like not really saying anything to each other, and then you know, Button just sort of like, you, you know, you're going to get investigated for that, right? Like, you know, and he's right. like, you know, and then later on the podium, uh, Vettel says something to the effect of, "Oh, well, he never complained about it to me," which is a, a silly thing to say, I guess, because it's like that's not what matters. Is not the, you know, you're not the steward, you're right. not Charlie Whiting. You're, you, it's not like 
I have to formally file a complaint with you before something actually matters. So, um, yeah, so it was... Um, but the question is, is, well, was that a legit pass and Vettel got, um, Vettel got hit with a bogus penalty? Or is it's a legit penalty, but it's a dumb penalty and he shouldn't have been penalized? Or, um, you know, is it now that was a good penalty for a good reason and he, he got what he deserved? I think the penalty was was correct. I think that if Vettel were in a situation where he's got, you know, a, a, if he's fast enough to get past Button, he can do so sort of cleanly and properly on the track and not, you know, go up basically off track to gain an advantage, basically making that corner wider, meaning he can hold more speed around it where Button is... Uh, is is staying on within the confines of the track, and you know then doesn't con- you know has to make a tighter uh, tighter corner, uh, can't carry as much speed through there, and, and can't get quite the uh, the exit of the corner. So um, I think it was I think it was legit in that the the penalty that is was legit in that uh, Vettel didn't do the right thing, and uh, it's a little bit of a shame that it has to happen after the race because it's so close to the end of the race that you know they yeah. didn't get the chance to say hey button you know hey Vettel give the position back right then you guys can fight for another couple laps or whatever because maybe he could have gotten it back anyway. But um, oh, very possible. You know, but I mean, so Button's it, tires were ragged, so it was, and he ended up, yeah, ended up being three or four seconds behind Vettel in just that one and a half laps that he had left. Right. Of so racing. So I would have much rather seen it happen that way, but I think that that call was correct, and and Button was correct in saying, "Hey, he going off track to pass me. That's not that's not how it's supposed to work. He shouldn't have. You know, he shouldn't be able to get away with that." And uh, and obviously the stewards agreed. And I think. Uh, you know, partially, I think Button deserves a little bit of credit in terms of the way he fought for that position as Vettel was making the pass. So first of all, Vettel made a, it was a great pass. Vettel drove really well. It looked for a while like Vettel's tires were ragged, but he really he really held on to that car and ended up being able to get those tires to last the end of the race. So he was strategically driving really well. But as that pass came about. Uh, Button forced Vettel to go around the outside, and Button braked earlier than Vettel did. And Vettel outbraked himself by just a little bit, by maybe a car width or so. So there was almost kind of an over-under-ish type of thing happening. And so Button was definitely allowed to get, was able to get on the power earlier, exiting out of the out of the hairpin. But then, as he was exiting, he was approaching Vettel just a little bit, and Button. Button backed off just a little bit, and oh, if you could only see my hands, I'm I'm demonstrating this brilliantly. It's amazing. So anyway, Button backs off a little bit, but he's still in. He still has the racing line, and he's he's taking the proper racing line to the outside of the hairpin as he's exiting. And Vettel Vettel could have swooped in right behind him and then continued to have a draft and try try in the next corner. He had one more. He had one more hairpin. Attempt uh, as well in the final lap, yeah. Um, but instead, uh, Vettel just kept his foot planted and exited the track to do it. So, Button forced Vettel to work for that pass in every section of the corner, and so it was it was strong racing on Button's part. And from a racer point of view, I fully understand Vettel saying, "Forget it. There's tarmac right here." Right. I'm not going to give up all this momentum, all this effort, and not do it. And it seemed, you know, especially because the weekend had been wet and people were exiting the track all the time, but it was pretty clear 
you could make the argument that maybe he didn't gain the advantage because he had the pass completed at the entry of the corner-ish, but... I mean, that'd be a really weak, that's a weak argument, right? right? That's flimsy. How, how many times do we see someone, yeah, quote-unquote, complete a pass, and then they can't hold on to it? But my point is, is that in the heat of the moment, everything happening as quick as it is, it's towards the end of the race, it's four position, we're talking about three championship points, everything else. I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't necessarily see him doing it differently, because it's possible, the Stewarts could have gone another way, they could have said, no, it was fine, for whatever reason. We've seen... We've seen what we think are pretty clear things happen before, and they go the other way. In a way, I could almost see justifying taking that risk just so that pass that the pass was made. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I I agree. I think the penalty was legit. He left the he exited the course. He didn't make the pass on the track, I th- and I think it was close enough to the end that it wouldn't have been reasonable for the stewards to make a decision right away. So I think they had to do it post race. So I ultimately agree with the decision, but I guess what I'm saying is, considering all the factors and everything else, I don't know if Vettel necessarily did the wrong thing. It's just more that the chips didn't go fall his way. Yeah. Um, and there was, you know, Vettel's initial uh, response was, he said, it, you know, I wasn't sure if, if Button was still on the inside line, uh, sort of like I went wide just in case he was still there. But uh, looking at, there's, you know, people have already been sort of posting things about this and tweeting about it and whatever. There's a photo where they're mid-corner, like right midway through the hairpin, uh, where it seems very clear with Button ahead that Vettel would have known that Button was on the inside line. So right, it's like right. not, there's not a question. Uh, it's sort of, you know, in the heat of the moment, yeah, you make a decision. You say, okay, I'm going to go wide. I'm going to make this pass happen. And then afterwards, you sort of come up with what seems like a reasonable explanation. But I think if he had backed off in that corner, probably could have made it happen a little bit later on down that track. I had yeah. one more lap attempt at, at doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I also have seen uh, mentions to, you know, this shows sort of when when things aren't quite going the right way for Vettel that, you know, he becomes an immature driver or something like that, that some of these, uh, some of these you know, moves and, and the way sort of it's, you know, he's not able to be out in front and completely dominating a race in clean air that uh, some of his decision-making is maybe uh, a little bit lower level than some of the other guys, but... Uh, I'm not sure I'd go that far myself. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a little bit of a stretch. I think, I think Vettel's strongest suit is ultimate pace. I think in terms of what is Vettel's strongest suit, it's qualifying. He's incredible at it. He can do his little Jedi mind trick and like imagine the perfect lap and then go out and repeat it. Yeah. And a uh, few drivers can match him there. But in terms of racing, dealing with cars, it's not like he's bad at it. No one's arguing that. But maybe he's not one of the best. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we've talked about this, you know, with, with Hamilton and Maldonado, especially in recent races. And, and, you know, and you know Button hasn't really been a factor lately because of some issues of qualifying and, and grip and whatever. But, you know, it's pretty rare, I think, that we find these days ourselves in, an, in kind of a, you know, like an Alonzo race incident. Was this the right thing to do? Was this not? I mean, he sort of just really seems to be able to get what he can out of a car, and like we've said, if he doesn't come, you know, if he doesn't win, then he, at least, you know, he may be on the podium, top five, whatever, he's just sort of like really seems to be really smart about getting points and right. making the best call when there's a couple of different ways to play something, and, and but, you know, the fact that, you know, right now he leads the championship quite well, yep. I yep. think it's over a race hard to argue with uh, the success of, of that. Well, and yeah, I mean, the thing I've said about Alonso before, and the way he describes himself actually is kind of to the similar effect. The way I describe Alonso is he's not necessarily the best at anything, but he's really good at everything. Like, there's no weakness. He's solid for everything. Like, if you were 
if you had a scale of five different categories, you know, zero to ten, he's like an eight and a half on everything. And maybe Vettel's a ten in qualifying and a six in racing and a seven in pit stops or whatever else. But like Alonso, he is like eight and a half, nine on every single category. He's really strong. And you know, that's the type of thing that will maximize a car. And uh, you know, and again, I I think I think Vettel's attempt to get the pass done you know, considering everything that was going on, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm not sure. Ultimately, it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, yeah, he should have waited. He had another lap and a half. But I think given all the circumstances, everything going on, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think it wasn't necessarily the right move, the wrong move for Vettel to make the way he did it. Just he took the risk and it went the way it did. Yeah. So, of course, with uh, the penalty for Vettel, that puts Button into second place, uh, which is – you know, he said he had his, his victory at the opening of the season, then second place a little bit later on in China, uh, another second place uh, position. But really, it seems like through some either the upgrades on the McLaren car or Button has found his Zen or something amazing has happened in the last couple of weeks uh, that that, you know, things are things are coming back together for for Jensen's season. Yeah, I, he had a he had a minor bit of a slump. And I think certainly certain articles and certain people in the media that I read about over blew the slump by quite a bit. But it was definitely, you know, a few races there where he just wasn't a factor. Some of it being a little bit less of his fault than others, but uh, definitely enough of a trend to make people start to get worried, especially Jensen Button fans such as myself. But this latest upgrade um, that they brought to the McLaren with the cool little fins on top of the side pod, that's really nifty looking, all all super sharky-like, I dig it. Um, that seems to help. Maybe Sharks don't have fins like that. Whatever. But... but It'd be cool if they did. Sharks that's my have side point. pods. Well, sharks. Well, all right. That's you've just named two great reasons why Formula One cars are cooler than sharks. Fair enough. So, uh, anyway, maybe it was just a confidence thing. Maybe the car is better and suits Button's driving a little bit better. Maybe it was just a simple factor of the changes they made helped get more heat in the front tires, which seems to be one of the things Button was struggling with. Is just getting enough heat in the front tires because he was locking tires up left and right and. A lot of people were suspicious that his tires just weren't hot enough in front. So uh, whatever it is, for the same reason why I was really skeptical of calling this some gnarly trend, the first couple of poor results Button had, I'm very. it's a little bit skeptical to say, oh, he's back, everything's great now, now that he's had one good this result. This begins the Jensen Button era of Formula <laughs> One. Today, mark my words. Exactly. So anyway... But, you know, another strong result in the Hungary goes into the summer break with a couple of uh, podium finishes under his belt. You know, that'd be sweet because, you know, his belt could use a podium finish or two. Yeah, so with <laughs> with the, that slump of results, though, um, he did lose out quite a bit in terms of championship points. So I want to run down a little bit on kind of where those stand now. Yes, let's do so that. So our boy Jensen has 68 points, which doesn't sound so bad until we look at kind of Alonso has 154 which is a pretty big disparity. That's uh, Alonso, of course, in first place right now. Uh, Weber is second with 120, followed by Vettel with 110 points. So uh, it is still that Weber is number one driver at Red Bull with in terms of current championship points with the way everything uh, came came across today. That is correct. Now, but what about the fourth place in the drivers' championship? Kimi Raikkonen. Kimi Raikkonen is ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Right. By six points now, it's 98 points to 92, and depending on what may have happened with Hamilton today, if it weren't for the puncture and all that, it may be the other way around, but Certainly. it isn't. 
But and Kimi Raikkonen's had his share of luck go wrong, right? You know as well. So uh, fourth in the drivers' championship for his inaugural season, coming back into Formula One after two seasons out in World Rally and Craftsman Trucks and NASCAR of all things. Yeah, Kimi being Kimi in a car that you know is it. Is it where does it stack? It's maybe the fourth best chassis. I mean, where, hasn't yet gotten a pole, hasn't yet gotten a win. Yeah, I mean that's that's a great great standing, and I would say for me that's the biggest surprise of the season so far. I would never have guessed um, Kimi to be that high up in the Lotus. Right. You know, Romain Grosjean is in eighth with sixty one points. Some of his um, his performance has been luck related. Had a really hard time even just getting laps under his belt the first couple of races. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a fourth place in the standings for a Lotus with Kimi Raikkonen, that's, that's strong. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, so behind him is uh, Lewis Hamilton, like we mentioned, and then Nico Rosberg just, you know, is kind of a step back to 76 points down there. And then Jensen is actually seventh spot with a 68 points just ahead of uh, Rogro. And then it's kind of another jip, jump back to uh, Checo Perez and uh, Kamui Kobayashi and kind of down the grid from there. But, um, yeah, like you say, so the, so Kimi is kind of the big surprise up there, and also Nico Rosberg. I mean, it's it's seventy six points, so it's not quite in the you know up to fight with Lewis and Kimi yet. But you know, he had the the one win in China, of course. But um, otherwise, you know, I guess he's been sort of quietly collecting points yeah, as we go. A, but I hadn't I hadn't really recalled that he's you know he's in front of Jensen Button even even after Jensen's second place finish today. He's yeah, you're you're right. That's actually a good point. He's he hasn't been making much noise. He had his win in China, which was huge. But otherwise, Mercedes has only been so so. And, you know, Schumacher's been getting a lot of attention just because he's been really quick in places. His uh, provisional pole in Monaco, for example, he had the podium in, was it Britain? No, it was before Britain. Canada? Anyway, I don't remember things. Michael Schumacher was on the podium recently. um, And uh, so he's been getting a lot, but uh, Schumacher's back down in 12th. Yeah. Valencia, so, where we had the whole Maldonado Hamilton thing that took Hamilton out of the way, and then yes. Vettel, Vettel had his alternator thing and everything. You know, right. All the young guys got bumped out, and it was all the old guys, you know, got the podium. So yeah, you're right. Sixth place is strong, although you know, it does seem like I don't know where we where we're at in terms of championship fight. I it, it's hard to believe that Lewis Hamilton isn't still going to have something to say about it, but right, he is but, now over two race wins away from from the leader right and you're talking about schumacher i mean all the noise you've heard about schumacher but yeah you know 29 points compared with even rosberg 76 right is a huge no. disparity and he's Very 12th true. but at that part of the grid you know a couple of you know a couple of positions is a big gap in points and uh you know yeah it just kind of goes on down from there so you uh, know, pastor maldonado is ahead of michael schumacher um because they have the same amount of points with 29 but pastor Includes a win. All right. So speaking of, you know, surprises halfway through the year. Very if you true. had said, oh, yeah, Pastor Maldonado will probably have a win, and Schumacher will not, you know, not that that if either one of those two were to have a win, I would say the more likely one would be that, you know, Schumacher, it all comes together for him, not for the Williams. Yeah, very um, true. But uh, anyway, yeah, so it, it uh, you know, it's stacking up now. So basically this was a brilliant weekend for Alonso. Um, Ferrari as a whole, I mean, Massa is still down in 14th with 23 points, so even, you know, well behind Schumacher even there. But uh, but for Alonso, as uh, for the drivers' championship, looking very very strong and being very very happy about that, and um, because though I mean the two Red Bull you know Red Bull is the only team with sort of two two guys in the top right now, and um, that both their drivers so Red Bull and the constructors' championship is is way out in front with 230 points, right. well ahead of Ferrari with 177, and then but actually you know Ferrari still ahead of McLaren uh, with only 160 points, so it's not a big gap there, but uh, Ferrari is second. Um, even with sort of only arguably one strong driver going right there. 
uh, and then and then a Lotus Renault just a point behind McLaren. So that can of course swing one way or another pretty easily. Yep, absolutely. And the Mercedes Sauber, Williams, Force India, STR, and the bottom three. Boy, that Mercedes just isn't. You know, they're now. God, it's tough because they seem to really be able to have some strong performances here and there, but they're just not consistent enough. And this is Ross Braun's team, and he hired a lot of engineering talent into that team. It's, I really thought we'd be seeing stronger results from them by now. I don't know if uh, they've, you know, these guys have just lost their edge or what. That's, but fifth, fifth in the structures for Mercedes is a bit of a surprise. I mean, you can't be too surprised about McLaren and Ferrari and Red Bull, but Lotus as well. I mean, that's, you know, and, yeah. you know, Sauber Ferrari is not that far behind Mercedes. 80 points compared to Mercedes 105. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just looking at Mercedes' results, uh, you know, Schumacher race finishes have just been so poor. I mean, the last three have been good. Today, uh, you know, Europe yeah. and Britain have been good, but... Prior to that, I mean, I see a 20th, 24th, a 10th, 24th, 19th, 22nd. I mean, there's just been so many retirements for Schumacher. That's really just yep. Yep. Where, where it comes down to. And, uh, and you know, but like I say, lately the trend, though, has been that that's been coming back together. So this is the halfway point of the season. Uh, you know, 10 races out of 20 are complete now. Yes, so, you're right. Uh, so, you know, who knows, right? So obviously the points um, the, all matter where they are now, but also, you know, if we look at sort of the trends, there is still plenty, you know, plenty of points on, on offer and plenty of time for cars to get developed and things to change and whatever. So uh, who knows? But uh, so far it's, you know, Alonso's got to be a pretty happy dude. Yeah, mathematically, Narayne Karthikeyan could still win this driver's championship. Right, right. We don't want to forget, you know. The Narayne's of the, the, of the world. The HRT factor. If you will, <laughs> or the hurt factor. Ooh, yes, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> is it time for listener feedback? It is. Oh, sweet. Yes, of course. It is listener feedback time, where we take uh, questions, comments, feedback of all sorts through Facebook and Twitter and email at feedback@f1show.com, and, at and we answer them like a genie. Sometimes, yes. or sometimes we just kind of lay it out there and, and let the world decide. So uh, we got an email from Paul Alston from the UK. Um, says he's been listening to the show for about eight months and thought he was time. It's, uh, he got in touch and he, he says another fan wades in on the Maldonado debate. Eighteen months, sir, not eight. Oh, a year and a half of solid months, listening. Right. I, I just don't know how to speak very well. That's quite all right. Um, so he says, anyway, so he's, you know, he thanks us for the podcast. And he says, anyway, as, as, as you seem to like stats, and I do, I really, really do, I've come up with a method of giving the <laughs> driver a hazard rating. Very simple. In any given incident, a driver gets one point if it's clearly his fault, half a point if there is doubt over who is at fault, and a bonus point for malicious intent. Yes. And exactly how the malicious intent, you know, comes in remains to be seen. But, right. So, there's a, so he's got a breakdown, this table of uh, races involving um, – you know, incidents involving Maldonado, which takes into account the, uh, you know, just kind of the, the, this whole the hazard rating for, if you will. So yep. in Belgium 2011, collided with Hamilton at the final chicane. He calls that one even, you know, half a point for Maldonado, half a point for uh, for Hamilton. Um, also collided with Hamilton after the first corner. Uh, same thing. That was two points for Maldonado. That was, you know, that was the, the really egregious one. I think we said it was after the uh, after qualifying and after the timing yep. had even stopped. So, okay, that was just stupid. Right. Um, this year, though, Australia with Grosjean, half a point, spun while in second, one point, you know, all just kind of goes down the road from there. Yeah. But uh, at the end of that, uh, you know, up through Britain where he has a collision with Perez um, with one point for Maldonado. And even the, 
the Valencia, the Europe one, the, the Hamilton, you know, infamous, now infamous Hamilton Maldonado crash, he puts that as even, half a point for each driver, uh, is that uh, the totals of all this, Pastor Maldonado with nine and a half points, and other drivers, whoever else was involved in any given incident, with one and a half drivers. So with the, One and a half points. Right. But so the overall, uh, overall takeaway being that, you know, yes, there is... Uh, some, you know, there's there's sometimes where it can kind of go either way. But if you if you do kind of look at a bit more of a trend, or say, okay, overall, is this just a racing incident every single time, or is there more to it than that? That uh, what he says is, if my methods are accurate, then Pastor Maldonado is clearly a lunatic. Right. Which is uh, is is one. Even if you eliminate the unforced errors, he still scores seven and a half, which is five times more than his opponents. Fortunately for Pastor Maldonado, I do not believe Paul Austin is a registered psychologist. Um, and, uh, also fortunately for Maldonado, I do not think that this is terribly accurate myself. I think to, to list Maldonado against every other driver in this way, you could, you could just as easily take another driver. I don't know, Lewis Hamilton, for example, and you could play this game with Hamilton and Massa for 2011, 2012 and add up a lot of points. And it would like... You know, it, you could make it but look it pretty be, bad as as one side. So first of all, I think this is great to 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 you know credit where credits do right, in we, terms we, of trying to to try to put numbers behind right, to try what, to illuminate an argument and say okay, well let's rather than just think about you know think about it, it's like let's actually sort of run down the list and see what happens. So I I, I thank you for the effort. I think it's very very cool that you put I this together. And I think, think it's there's cool. a whole lot of bias dumped into this. I frankly, I mean, I, I you know, frankly, I, I, it seems like. Is this every single incident that he's ever had in, from 2011, 2012? I don't, I don't think so. There's probably more little scuffs and things that happen within the race during 2011, 2012 um, that aren't here. And, you know, if you did this with every right, other driver, how if, would it add up? But if I you mean, didn't make a spreadsheet like this to refute this, then you're just going on conjecture. And Paul here, our dear listener Paul, has, has put the work in and the effort in. However, I'm, you sure, you've because, heard, because I'm it, sure you've heard the phrase, lies damn lies and statistics and i think what's a little bit dangerous here is just because it's a number to say well this is more accurate because it's a number i think there's a lot of bias baked into this thing is my right point. but if you want to defend against it it's worth at least coming up with your own number in the same method as this but i think you saw that the, would take time and energy you saw the uk in his email address and assumed he's anti-maldon no ah, don't go there don't I do that i think that this is a this is a countryist uh position of yours um <laughs> And of course, well, when when it was you know the Hamilton v Massa and you know incidents one way or another, you know that's what people were talking about, and there was you know there was plenty of discussion and people weighing in one way or another on on that whole situation, and you know with regards to where they are in the championship and who should be risking whose race and what you know all kinds of all kinds of discussion. But the fact there's but not... was it, were the terms lunatic and dangerous driver? This is the thing I'm talking about. This is like this is the kind of thing we talk about, like like a political discussion. You know when when you start hearing these things, like well, that'll know, clear this up. Let's well, talk politics. But no, that's my point is, you know, it's one thing to say, like, you know, he's not doing a good politician job. Politician A's could. issues, I disagree with his issues, and I think he's wrong. And politician B, his issues are right, versus politician A is a terrorist, and politician B is a socialist. It's like those type of things just add so much fire and emotion to the thing. You're saying Maldonado's a terrorist? No, I'm saying he's a socialist. That? No, so what well, I'm saying is. Well, when he's Venezuelan. Hmm. What I'm saying is, when, when you say, okay, you try to enumerate these types of things, but to say, you know, that Paul, Maldonado is clearly a lunatic. 
okay, or so, that he's so a take, dangerous driver. So, That's what I'm saying. Like that. So take that out of it for a second. It still looks to me like there are, you know, what I guess what we can say, what I think I can read out of this chart is that first of all, it's cool that you know we have fans that are making us, you know, charts and numbers and sort of looking through Fair these enough. things. I completely agree. And with that. that um, it just seems the trend is that more often than not, when it comes down to an incident that uh, that involves Pastor Maldonado and another driver, on the whole, even taking out a couple of iffy whatever, um, you know, that it just really seems like more so than than other drivers, or more so, you know, we don't have a chart for each driver, but you know, this 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 obviously has just been an issue with with Maldonado this year, is that uh, it's just more often than not, it really comes down to being his fault and. Uh, that this is a a way, and imperfect perhaps, but a way of enumerating that. And I think it's great that he sent us an email. And thank you, Paul. Huge credit for sending the email and for thinking about it. But this is a way and definitely, definitely biased, whether okay. it wants to be agreed. And that's okay. Robin's a terrorist, so don't worry I about it. Because I can counter, and Jim's a socialist. I can counter with, which many people, maybe even our listeners, probably like, yeah, okay, whatever. In fact, yeah, well, is that an insult? Is now we're insult? now we're starting to get in politics no, we're again. Not. But anyway, yeah, socialist, uh, especially in the pol- political realm here in the States, is definitely not considered a compliment. Anyway, I can counter with an email of my own from uh, Nick Porter, who um, is also from the UK. Thank you very much. And uh, I'll read a little bit of his email here. He says, hi, guys. Been listening for a year now. Great show with a different pers- perspective to what we get in the UK. First time I've written as I wanted to give my opinion on the topic of Maldonado uh, uh, one which is skewed massively here in the UK because of his clash with Hamilton. That was his words, not mine. I'm no expert, but I've been racing for the last 10 years or so, so I hope I have a fairly good feeling for the rules and what a racing incident is, etc., etc. So, I'm not going to go on to read the whole thing, but I am going to read uh, a little bit here. Personally, I feel both moves in Great Britain and Valencia were racing incidents. My arguments will probably sound skewed towards Maldonado, maybe because I have heard every possible reason why it was his fault, and these have been done to death, so I feel a bit for the guy being vilified here when it is 100% to blame. So, um, his argument uh, about the move with Valencia, uh, with Hamilton and Valencia, is the same as mine, is that he was side-by-side side on the outside, and Hamilton pushed him off the track in the first place. So that was his argument there. Right. I, have racing, I have a racing experience, racing uh, background, so does he. So it's, there's a little bit – I took a little bit of solace in the fact that there was a little bit of consistency there. Again, we're two tiny data points in a massive array of people's opinions on this, and I'm sure plenty of them have racing experience. Um, for Great Britain, you know, uh, for Great Britain, uh, you know, he said Perez's move was a great overtaking, but it was a brave move, and he was running the risk of the guy on the inside making a mistake, and that's what happened. You know, Pastor never argued that it wasn't his fault. He just said, I made a mistake, and that's what it is. You know, people make mistakes. It happens, and that's going on. So I would say that Nick Porter's opinions uh, as he's been racing incidents, given the fact that it's an educated opinion with racing experience to back it up, is just as valid of an opinion as Paul's. Right, except that Paul's takes into account more over more time and more incidents and in he, a biased he, way with his if, own point well, set up with even if you take even if you take those out of it it's with still an incomplete it's still a know, very different of, uh, deal. Yeah, I don't think it is. But anyway, so two ultimately though, two great emails. We hugely appreciate you both of you, both Nick and Paul listening. We appreciate you thought you put into it and the time and effort you took to come right to us about it so we could continue to debate it because Obviously, it is still interesting. And uh, 
overall, Nick, you and I are still in the minority, clearly. And how much of that is because no, we have a real strong British Nick, following? Nick and Paul don't actually disagree. If you listen, if you look at what they're saying, it's you know, Paul is more the long point of okay, the, the Europe thing is 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 equal, and if you take out the thing with Perez. That it's still an issue is is like you know it's not saying that what happened in England what happened in Great Britain were were terrible and, and all Maldonado's fault he puts us down as evils or is equal so you know looking closely it's not a disagreement it's just more of a refinement on on this particular issue or that particular issue and, and Paul is more saying on, on a general sense it, it's like, a more it's, detailed look at at one person's opinion it's it's a detailed look but it's still it's still riddled with that person's bias built into the built into the numbers. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Bias riddling. That doesn't even make sense. It's a BR. Yeah. So anyway, um, anyway, thanks to both of you guys. Uh, we also had comments on uh, the F1show.com page itself, which um, was lovely. Uh, now it's not up. Do you have it up? Because I don't, but I will. And now I do. Um, so I want to give a thank you to... Who are all these folks? These lovely folks. It's coming. I said it was up. It wasn't quite up. Now I'm now I'm getting now I'm getting slowed it's down. It's v- Vanessa who emailed for who, who uh, did the first uh, comment on there. Yes, um, and she weighs in on the Maldonado issue as well. So we got to get back into the argument. She agrees with you. <laughs> she, um, he said, believes Maldonado is an impetuous and daring driver. Does that make him a bad driver? He probably lacks experience uh, and some maturity, and kind of goes on to to compare with Hamilton and so on. Um, also, she thinks we should rename the stat model because the Damien as a name for the stat model sounds cool. But as soon as we go Damien, the statistical model doesn't have any kind of a ring. To right. It. She likes the she likes the S with an S type of I like Sydney, the stat model or Stanley, the stat model. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, on originally, that? so to I don't know if, if everyone was was uh, listening back then. But when you named the stat model, Damien was basically as as because of Vettel's ridiculous consistency, Damien was, was just walking away. It was much, much better at predicting outcomes than we were. So we were very upset at this and right. decided that Damien was devil spawn and to name him after, after the devil himself uh, with, uh, with a you know, sort of devil-named uh, sort of deal. So um, ooh, there was a... Ooh, ooh, I have a solution. Yeah. I have a solution. Yeah. Damien... Stanley, the statistical model. Stanley is his middle name. That or Sydney. That's, or we could do all three. That's very strange. Or we could do no. Sydney, Sydney, Damien, I, Stanley. That's, that's Stanley's last name doesn't even make sense. Well, we could add more names. Joe, Stanley, Damien. Right. Anyway, also um, we want to thank uh, F1Shift.net, Toby L. Rown, uh, A. Rowe, and D. Bowden, and Alex. Oh boy, Iqbal, I. Q. B. A. L. Iqbal. Okay. For, uh, uh, for also uh, giving us a show, uh, you know, uh, giving a comment on the uh, – Alex agrees with you. Uh, finally, Maldonado's fault. Way too aggressive, all I can say. F1 is Shift also says look at Maldonado's The villain past. of Formula One. You have to play, place blame on him. You know, there's, there's, there's numbers either way, and I guess you can, uh, you can dismiss everyone whose opinion who's different than yours as, as riddled <laughs> with personal intent or whatever, but – I just don't think it's very nice to be countryist against those in England. I just, I just think that's like not a very good approach. Well, you aren't know. you also boycotting England right now? That, that also just doesn't seem very good. How you, am I boycotting? When was the last time you went to England? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I was, I was there just this past, just, 
just this past year for the Bahrain Grand Prix. <laughs> when I, you said boycotting the Indian, I, I met with our fans and everything. I was like, it was where a great time. We went to I wasn't drinking English beer anymore. So like, where did that I just, I just don't understand what all this anti-English, you know, rhetoric is all about. I just, you know, it's, it's really strange. The Queen knows what she did. Yeah. Well. So do you, apparently. Uh, also, as always, we've got a great conversation going on on Facebook. Uh, if you're not part of that, then uh, certainly you should find that out and, uh, and, and be a part of that conversation. It's just uh, facebook.com slash F1 show, or you can simply go to F1 show.com. And there's links to everything from there, Twitter and Facebook and email and whatnot. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're saying to yourself, well, it's not Formula One weekend or just after the weekend. Why would I ever go to F1 show.com? Well... Uh, many reasons, obviously, uh, but one of which is the fact that we had uh, three, count them, three columns um, between the two uh, Grand, Grands Prix uh, that we've held. We had, um, uh, boy, I'm losing my train of thought here. Craig's uh, wife, Louise, uh, wrote a wonderful uh, summary of their weekend at the Goodwood Festival of Speed um, a couple weeks back, and uh, it, they Included pictures, of course. It's Craig. Of course, there's going to be pictures. It's Craig. Craig. And uh, well, so you hate Scotland too now, huh? Hmm. Let's see how it is. All right. <laughs> so there was a lovely uh, article on that. And speaking of the kilt, we also did. He was uh, nice enough to send us some audio of some of the racing that he heard uh, while he was at the British Grand Prix. And we decided uh, instead of chopping up and giving you a couple little bits as part of the show that we gave you the uncut or maybe director's cut version of uh, uh, the Kilt's audio. So that is uh, the British Grand Prix 2012 track site. And as we'd promised a couple podcasts ago, we had an no less than epic um, uh, column on the taste of the race and all the amazing things that Josh has been doing. Um, his culinary experience is well beyond ours, no doubt. Right. And I've gotten some good feedback on those as well. People that basically look through uh, Josh Anderson's food preparations is just like, man, like, you know, every once in a while we sort of do, we'll, we'll, we'll find a German restaurant. And that's like a lot of effort for us to put in. Right. And yet, you know, he's coming up with uh, these you know, really, really pretty incredible looking dishes from all over the world. And that's very cool. And we've even got some more updated ones as well. So yes. maybe another post along those lines. Uh, and, and we've got another other feedback from people as well that uh, that have had uh, done taste of the race for a while. And uh, it's it's definitely kind of fun because it's easy to forget you know, looking at any any given F1 track, you know, where it is in the world, it uh, hardly matters at all. You know, you see the same, the, the corners look basically, you know, they look essentially the same, and the track layout, the sponsors are all the same, and the cars are all the same. So to sort of remember, like, where the heck they are in the world right now uh, is, is kind of fun. And, and to do that with delicious food is uh, is all the better. Well, and also that, you know, it's not just this homogeneous entity, because you see all the Formula One circus surrounding this area, and you say you're in Germany, but it all looks very similar. It's Formula One cars and all the massive Formula One-ness and a racetrack. Right. But it's in unique places with unique cultures and hundreds and hundreds or thousands of years of history and everything else all baked in. And doing, you know, food is such a huge part of the culture. It's just just a fun way to kind of Give yourself a little reminder, which I definitely hope we're going to do ourselves tonight uh, as well. Yes. Not cooking it ourselves, though. And uh, so, yeah, with that, um, also a thank you to Jono, who sent us a lovely picture of his um, son, I'm assuming, enjoying uh, his dinner. Uh, you can't tell by the photo, but uh, Jono uh, promises that the, his young son was just joking around. 
Yes, and a pretty legit-looking dessert there as well. So, oh, yeah, that apple strudel I, looked pretty sick. Now checking our... Like, our, sick in a good way, sick. Now checking our, uh, you know, fan uh, email, now it basically makes me hungry every time I look at it because I'm like, <laughs> that, all that food looks really delicious. Oh, and, and speaking of, I mean, Josh, anytime you want to send, if you want to send us photos, keep sending us updates. I mean, I, I mean, we, the spirit of it and our idea of it is really cool that it really struck a chord with you, but you really executed it better than anything else we've seen. And so if you want to keep sending us stuff, that's really cool. All right. But speaking of Damien, let's see how the predictions stack up this week. Lovely. Okay, Jim, it is time for Stanley, Sydney, Damien, statistical model, Cooper. The third. The third. It might be the third year of this Excel spreadsheet. I don't know if, they can, if yeah, they can have Esquire. that. Uh, yeah. Well, we did it in 2010. I'm yeah. pretty sure I have a 2010 version of this thing. Yeah, so it is kind of the third. Huh. Yeah. Imagine that. Well, there you have it. Anyway, it is time for us to speak to Damien and for Damien to uh, speak back to us. He predicted um, that because Fernando Alonso was on pole last time, he was going to be on pole again. And that because Mark Weber, Weber won last time, he was going to win again. He was correct about Fernando Alonso. Alonso was once again on pole position. However, sadly, Mark Weber could do no better than eighth, meaning that the statistical model, Damian Sidney Stanley, the third, <laughs> Walter Wendy, scored seven points. You and I agreed with each other because you finally realized how brilliant I was and wanted to copy me. I said it first. And we all said Sebastian Vettel was going to be on pole and he was going to go on to win the race. We did not realize that Sebastian Vettel was going to go start getting past and passing McLarens all weirdly and screw everything up. But he ended up uh, qualifying second and officially finishing fifth, meaning five points for us each, which means we both won, we tied, and we both beat Damien. Which is really what matters, is that Ultimately, we are smarter than an Excel spreadsheet. More than anything, Jim and I are in this together to beat Damien. Right. It's, yeah. it's people versus computers on, <laughs> on this one, I think, is, is fair to say. Um, but also, so we've got also on the Facebook page, of course, the, uh, the fan prediction app where uh, people can uh, make their own predictions and see how they stack up. So, Robin, you and I now, we've moved up a little bit, I think, in the overall standings. I think a lot of people probably had Hamilton, Hamilton, or some variation where, you know, anyone who picked Hamilton to win lost out as as badly as possible. Just about. Uh, with, uh, with his 24th place classification. So, uh, you are in 18th spot with 114 points, compared to number one, Darren Bowden, with 68 points, who is really doing quite well. And, uh, speaking of Darren, he did, uh, he did shoot us a note saying that, uh, he appreciates the mention on the show and that he is a big Alonzo fan. And that is one of the reasons why he's doing as well as he's doing. Well, good good on you and good How on Alonzo. About that? I am in 24th spot amongst our fans with 120 points. And Damien is only two spots behind me, but actually 17 points behind me. So there's kind of a jump there. But uh, 26th is where Damien lives on the leaderboard right now. So we're, we're you know, I'm, we're outside the top 10 here, but uh, hopefully we can keep clawing back some positions, making some really, really smart and informed predictions uh, like we occasionally luck into doing. Well, one thing you might want to predict um, is uh, Pastor Maldonado, because I have yet another person that agrees with me. Oh, boy. (laughs) Just uh, wanted, we didn't get a chance to mention him a moment, but Juan Gonzalez had to say, came to uh, mention on the uh, Facebook page that he thought the penalty to Maldonado was unfair because he was forced to leave the track by uh, Hamilton. Of course, this was the original incident, the big, big one in Valencia. So just uh, another just another uh, uh, notch in my uh, bedpost. 
<laughs> wow, you and Juan really hit it off, huh? <laughs> I, I don't know why I said it that way, but yeah, yeah, no, we're we're close now. Good. Anyway, um, so you know, you know who has never won the Hungarian Grand Prix? Noreen Karthikeyan. Well, yes, but also <laughs> Sebastian Vettel. Um, Alonso won it in 2003. Schumacher's won it four times. Yeah, Schumacher's all up in there, but not since 2004, and that was in a Ferrari, and it's a slightly different situation. But Hamilton has won it twice. Uh, Button has won it twice, including his first victory ever in 2006 in a Honda. Um, yes, not necessarily because of outright performance, No, though. but it was a wet-dry situation, and it was cool. But, you know, it was for his first win because he had already at that point been in the sport for kind of a long time to not have won a race, and it was good True. for him. And it was maybe where his career turned around, but not really until Braun and whatever. So, But it was, anyway, it was good memories. That sure was for the Jensen. year before the world car. Do you remember yeah. the earth car? Yeah, that was still the, the, the bar sponsorship, the... Uh, the whole sort of tobacco deal with Lucky Strike, I think it was, and the yeah. uh, the red and brown and black kind of cool thing with the white, which I thought was kind of a cool looking car. But... I think at that point that was just Honda Racing, but they still kind of kept the colors. Yeah, they had the colors, yeah, but yeah, not yeah. the Lucky Strike. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Kimi has won here. Uh, Heike Kovalainen in one in 08, so maybe he's a good pick. In his one year with McLaren. Yeah, probably not. Um, so, really the question, though, is uh, who's going to be on pole and who's going to win the race? And uh... Wait, did Heike have one or two years with McLaren? Oh, was it two? I thought it was just one. I think it was one because then it was replaced by Alonzo. No, Alonzo was 07. I mean, Alonzo, he replaced Alonzo. He replaced Alonzo. Then who was in the car in 09? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I've completely forgotten. Obviously Hamilton, but who? Right, because uh, Button got in the car in 2010. Yeah. Facebook page is failing me. Um, Predictions. Yeah, no, Kovalainen. Yeah, oh nine, oh eight, oh nine. Okay, okay, Kovalainen okay. Both. So, okay, he did have two years. And then it car. was, and then yeah, Lewis and Jensen. Yeah, that's then. right, because Kovalainen went from McLaren to, to what is Caterham now. Yeah, and Caterham didn't exist until twenty ten. What, what a big move for that. Yeah, twenty ten yeah. was that big, big change for F one with three new teams and all the uglified cars and the whole deal. Right. Cool. Anyway, anyway, I don't think it's going to be Heike Kovalainen uh, for, for pole or the win. Gotcha. Narain Karthikeyan. Hey, Got it. Someday that man is going to win something. Maybe, probably not. Anyway. Um, like, you know, <laughs> like he was present for like, what is it? Do you know those little trophies you get for like participation? Like participation award. <laughs> uh, we're, we're jerks. Okay. So the question is, 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 is you know, Lotus going to come, come around to come together for us in this game hey, Kimi or whatever? Kimi's fourth you know? in the driver's championship. He was on the podium uh, in the official results. Uh, third fast, uh, third best guy. Third best guy. He's third best he guy. He also participated. <laughs> he got a paper plate award. Um, all right. So, man. I know. Not easy. Jensen Button. No. Really? Pole position. Wow. I'm, I have to tell you, I mean, I am impressed. Well, I, 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 I am We don't impressed. know if I'm right yet, uh, obviously. No, but, but that's bold. I mean, you he, were bold here. He won last year in McLaren, man. You know, I mean, a lot, Vettel was pole last year, but, you know, Vettel was pole everywhere last year. So That's true. Um, that, that's where it is. But uh, to win the race, yeah, I'll go, I'll go Button all the way. Why no not? Let's, kidding. Let's go big. Wow, good for you. I I I have to say you're speechless. I which am never happens to you. You're usually so lame about this, and I'm like, Jim, you're so lame about this, and you say, No, I'm not. I'm doing what you think is going to happen. But Jensen Button, how about that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I I think Michael Schumacher. No, I think that what we saw here was a resurgence by McLaren. I agree with you there. However, I do not think Jensen Button's going to be the one 
to show that resurgence here in Hungary. I think Lewis Hamilton is going to be quite hungry. Ah, uh, hungry? Yes. But maybe not quite hungry enough to get pole position. So I think it's going to be Sebastian Vettel on pole. Oh, wait, no. Alonso. No, 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 no. No, we've got the we got the dodgy Red Bull engine mapping thing to worry about, and the potential rear diffuser thing that right. They you deemed are, this is this is an epic stall. Can I just say this no. is this is like three minutes deep now. Deemed legal, the, right. deemed legal, but there may be some clarification. Right. So, Lewis Hamilton on pole. Lewis Hamilton to win the race. Oh, all right. So Damien says uh, Alonso, Alonso. Alonso. Okay. So it's it's it, it's go big or go home. We it's, can, it's, it's on. Something's gonna happen. It's on. Yeah, we are. We are. We do not agree this time around. Wow, there you have it. Yeah, the. Uh, I mean, the. I have to say, Damien does not have a terribly bad bet. I mean, that that Alonso Alonso is not a, a bad way to go. And Hungary, you know, it's a it's a shorter track. It's a tighter, more technical track. But and Jensen Button knows it really well. Jensen Button knows it really well. But you know who else knows it really well? Everyone else. So I don't think that in itself is going to be. Well, but I mean. Uh, Fernando Alonso, the Ferrari is strong. Fernando is strong. Uh, obviously, he's got he's the only driver with three race wins. He back to back pole positions. Um, and if we were predicting what has happened so far this year, that would be a very very safe <laughs> bet. But we're not. So clearly, <laughs> all right. So I'm in for Button. Damien's in for Alonso, and you are in for Hamilton. Yeah. And we will see what happens. It is just a week away. It's been a little while since. I mean, so the. Okay, I predicted Hamilton for Britain. Okay, so I've been more pro-Hamilton than you. You haven't predicted Hamilton since Canada. Yeah. Well. I thought you were a Hamilton fan, man. What happened? Just because I like the guy doesn't mean he's going to be pole position or win races. No, I'm excited. No, this is good. Oh, we only have a week. Right. We only have a week to think about this. So let's, let's yeah, let's, let's wrap the show. We will uh, go try to find some German food and reconnect with everyone a week from now yes. with coverage of the Hungarian Grand Prix, which thankfully in the U.S. is back on Speed Channel, which airs live and you don't have this whole Fox network nonsense switching around. Yeah. Um, Although, in a way, I have to say this year has been kind of nice because they've given us the pre-race and the post-race stuff, so we actually get more coverage out of the deal. And we got like the little the the little like meaty talk between Button and Vettel. We got right. that. We don't usually get that. Right. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Well, never mind then. I wish it'd be on Fox every day. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying to undermine my 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 simplified points. Maldonado. Damn. Oh, ah. Dang that guy. <laughs> All right. Have a good week, everybody. Feel free to visit f1show.com and let us know what you think of the show and, and let us know whatever questions, comments, and other feedback. and uh, T-shirt purchasing. Shoot, weigh in on the Maldonado thing again if you want. <laughs> we, are, we are game. What did he do wrong this time? We're, we are not, we are not we above. Will, we will not let this go. Right. Or we will. But, you know, it's, it's whatever the fans want. Uh, or, or not. But uh, until next week, I am Jim Lau. And I am Robin Warner. Cokes for everyone. Cokes for everyone.